Today's Binge Mode is brought to you by Lids. Locker room by Lids at Macy's. It's like having a lid store in the middle of a Macy's. Perfect shopping experiences to outfit the entire family for your favorite sports team headwear and apparel. Locker Room by Lids at Macy's is your soccer or, if you prefer, international football headquarters for jerseys, apparel, and more. The global sporting event of the year is upon us. Represent your country in style at Locker Room by Lids at Macy's. Nike jerseys for Brazil and Portugal, Adidas jerseys for Mexico, Argentina, and Germany are all available. Macy's.com slash Lids is your one stop to represent your team and your style for the largest sporting event in the world. Warning, binge mode contains adult content. Hey guys, binge mode contains lots of body language. Lots of dirty stuff. We're going to be talking about Game of Thrones. Once again, it's great to be back. And listen, this is a show that leans heavily on sex position, as it's been called. So if that's not your thing, please listen to On Shuffle, an excellent new music podcast from The Ringer. Excellent. Warning as well that Binge Mode contains spoilers. If you have not seen all 67 episodes of Game of Thrones, and hey, let's be real. If you haven't listened to all 67 corresponding episodes of Binge Mode Game of Thrones, what the heck are you doing here? Proceed with extreme caution. What you're about to hear is the audio from Binge Mode Live, a talk we gave at the Con of Thrones Game of Thrones convention in Dallas, Texas over Memorial Day weekend. It's a live event, freewheeling conversation, as we like to say here at TheRinger.com. So please enjoy. And now, Binge Mode Live. Yeah! And welcome to Binge Mode yes. Live at yes. Con of Thrones 2018. I am Mallory Rubin, executive editor of TheRinger.com. It's a, very, it's a great website. It's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal website. Please check it out. Give us those clicks. We love those clicks. Yeah. Joining me now. After he's finished standing atop the wall and doing absolutely nothing as the Night King Shocking. and his army approach. Just watch him. Who could have guessed that he would march on Take the wall? Take it in the sights. Who could have guessed that this would happen? It's Ringer staff writer and Thank your you. maester, Jason Concepcion. All season, you gotta mine that glass, we gotta make the weapons, we gotta put them on spears, we gotta put them on arrows, and then the freaking army the comes and the dragon is there and nobody's gonna do anything? It's, it's a lot to take in. It's, it's a lot issue. to take in. It's an issue. Thank you for joining us here today. We are really excited to be here with you guys talking about something that we love, yes. Game of Thrones. Our thought for today is that we would like to share with you how our conception of the story, both good and bad, changed after we binged. Because... Yeah. We'd watched the show numerous times. We've read the books numerous times. We have had conversations with each other about the story numerous yeah. times. And there were a lot of things that when we watched it in this concentrated fashion, yeah. we were like, oh, I have a slightly different opinion about this than I did before, which was pretty cool for us. It was like a reminder that this stuff is not rigid. It's not fixed. It's ever-changing. And that's one of the reasons we love talking about this so much. So I'd say the thing we talked about the most yes. under that umbrella is your girl, Sansa Stark. Sansa Stark. I tell you, watching season five and six for the first time, and then the Battle of the Bastards, Knights of the Vale come in, uh, my initial 
thought was like, man, Sansa kind of did John dirty here. You know, like, tell him the knights are coming. Tell him that that's going to happen. And maybe he doesn't, like, run in by himself and then get X amount of random other people killed. Um, and then on the rewatch and the binge watch, stuff that happened in season one, season two, season three, season four, leading all the way up to that, a cruise, all those emotional beats really, like, build up. And you realize since the beginning of the series, Sansa has put her trust and security in other people, and all those people fail her every time. You know, Ned Stark takes her to King's Landing, a place he admits is extremely dangerous. Great dad. Doesn't really prepare her for it in any kind of way. It's like, hey, the Septa, you know, will take care of you, and I'm going to be off doing hand stuff. He, he does at one point issue just the, just to cover every base for the rest of their lives, we've come to a dangerous place. So now you guys yeah, right. are good. <laughs> All right. Now it's you're dangerous here. I'll, and I'll see you later. And then, of course, he is killed on the way Lady is put down because of, you know... You're trying to make me cry just I'm, right well, away. Listen, and this was like she had, of course, had a crush on Joffrey. That leads in a sneaking fashion to Lady being put down. She discovers soon after that Joffrey is a psychopathic maniac. Um, her father is killed. She comes under the wing of Cersei a little bit, who teaches her a lot, actually, but is also manipulating her. Uh, Littlefinger then takes her, and she thinks, this is, this is my savior now. Peter, please. Peter, please. Uh, Mr. Bale, Lord Baelish. Peter, please. <laughs> he takes her to the Vale, where, within the, where, you know, to a place where there's blood there, there's family there. Still, she's not safe. So it's not, and then, of course, being sold to Ramsay, everything that happened there. John appears. Ah, I'm my savior. First thing that John says is like, you know, I'm, I'm done with the fight. I'm out. I didn't really want to, I, I'm thinking that like I'll just walk the land or something now. And of course, it, so it's not, it's not surprising that Sansa- Searching for would, a new barbershop. Is it, is it all surprising? Like that's the thing that really struck me is, is watching that in a, in a concentrated fashion. I get it now. I, would, I, I'd, if that were me, I'd be like, I'm not putting my trust in people anymore. I'm going to make sure this happens. Right. Sansa, as the show is airing live, and I think this is also true for some portion of time when people are reading the books for the first time, people really tend to rag on Sansa. Right. There's She's a lot of trashing her decisions and why would she do this? And, you know, people channeling their inner season seven aria and saying, why would you have written that letter while a child prisoner under duress? Right. Could that be why? Yeah. And when you rewatch it, in such a concentrated span of time, you really are forced to think about what situation she's in, the context in which she's forced to make these decisions and think this way, and kind of found ourselves in awe of her arc and her yeah. rise from a character who suffered as much misfortune as anybody else in the story and managed to overcome it and become one of the strongest, most independent thinkers on the show. And so we found ourselves routinely during season seven after, and I think we were both always pro Sansa. We were never like, oh, yeah. Sansa sucks. But I don't know that we were quite uh, as staunch in our defense as we have since become. And we found ourselves regularly arguing with our colleagues who, and just people in general who would still trash her and say, ah, oh, but she did this, she did that. She's, it's her fault with Ned and X, Y, and Z. She's working against John and this and that. And it's like, I, I can see that perspective. But again, imagine 
that all these people that you had put your trust in that were supposed to protect you from all these things failed you one after another. At some point, you'd be like, I'm going to make sure I'm secure. I'm going to bring the Knights of the Vale in. I'm going to do that. I'm going to convince you to take back Winterfell because you are done fighting, I guess. And like, I'm going to make sure that we are secure, that our home is taken back, and I'm going to do that. And I'm not going to trust anybody else to do that, even if you're Jon Snow. Right. It's like instead of focusing on why couldn't she have told him about the Knights of the Vale, which also felt emblematic to us of the difference between a, char- a core character trait and choices and the way the show chooses to present information to us as viewers and actually look at what happened there and say they have Winterfell because of her. And so it was so awesome in season seven for her to stand up and say that when she just dunks on Arya and is like, you should be bowing down to me and thanking me for being in our home. We were like, yes, yes, queen. It's extremely satisfying also just to see Littlefinger finally on his knees. You know what I mean? So, so great. After all, like, after everything that happened, you know, go for you, go for you, pull up your hood. You know, the one story the young boys love to tell, the story of a young girl that they never knew. His blood was a memorable shade. It was it a memorable spurted out spurting of out of his neck. So, it was very good. That was nice. Number two yeah. on the seven here. Guess we didn't actually say that. We're, this is the seven, by the way. <laughs> this is something that we talked about at the end of season seven of Binge Mode. The way we thought about the core fantasy elements in the story and when they are handled with care and when they are mishandled and what that means to us as fans of the story, I think was maybe the thing that stuck with us actually more than anything else and hit pretty hard at the end. Yeah, I think one of the narratives that I don't want to be out there uh, will be, hey, you know, uh, Game of Thrones, when it was like uh, this kind of dynastic saga, political struggle between families, was great. And then as soon as Bran like got hooked up to the tree, it started really sucking. And I think it's it speaks to a kind of clumsiness or like what feels like an uncomfortable relationship between the show and the, and the fantasy elements the Night's King. Like what do we, you could develop that as a character. We don't know anything about him except that they made him look more like Bran in season seven, which was disturbing. Right. How, many, how many of you guys just from show of hands or loud verbal ejaculations to borrow a JKRism? Right. Ron ejaculated loudly. Right. You look that up. It's great. It's, uh, that's a great Binge Harry Potter drops yeah. June 11th. Um, <laughs> how many of you guys feel that the Night King has been well-developed as a primary antagonist on the show and that you understand the mythology around that character and even the White Walkers as a whole? Yeah, right, I see. Right. And so that strikes us as problematic yeah and I think stood it has always felt that way but really stood out to us over these few weeks where especially because of the beginning of the show when when you're when you first see the wall like you are embodying the characters yeah. as they look out in wonder this, upon oh, this world the awe that they st- it feel. felt like when I walked into Honey Dukes at Wizarding World for the first time <laughs> and just like literally just started crying. And my friend was like, my college roommate had thrown out, flown out from Boston. And she was like, this is like super embarrassing and weird. But it felt like 
that, right? You're looking at the wall. The dragons are born. Yeah. When they find the dire wolves and you start to understand what that bond is. Yes. And then the show's ability, the story's ability to balance the core fantasy elements, the political and military strategy, and of course, the human elements. This is what makes it such a special story and something yeah. that we all cherish so much. And as the story has shifted from exploring some of those fantasy elements in depth to essentially using them as set dressings, that's something that we're concerned about and stood out to us in season seven and that we really hope is rectified in season eight. I think we like to joke about the dire wolves. Well, listen. But that's a big part of it. Yeah, I mean, like, if you're Jon Snow, king in the north, right? Dire wolves are your sigil. It's a mystical beast. Not for long. The connection you have with it is, is surely something beyond what is known in the world. You're going to meet someone who has three mystical beasts of your own. Why wouldn't you bring them? Like, why wouldn't you... Think about what an impression that would make walking into a throne room and having this gigantic wolf next to you that follows your commands. Maybe Ghost wouldn't have liked it when Drogon sniffed John. It's a jealousy thing. Oh, my God. Well, I think here's the thing. I think he would have sensed that uh, Drogon was like, hmm, smells like home, doesn't it? Yeah. I think even before the, obviously we got, you know, the lovely Nymeria cameo, but even before the direwolves sort of fell out of the story entirely, the entire nature of the warg bond, you know, we just want more of that. That's the stuff that we love so much about the story. And one of the other areas where we found ourselves reassessing the way the show relates to the fantasy aspects of the story is the nature of how the universe works yeah. and honoring that. And for example- That's so important in this type of story. The rules how, have how to make sense. How long does it take to get from place to place? Right. What, what's, what's the economic system? Just like, it depends on which character you are. I really I think like one of the things that is so amazing about this story is like, how much do you want to know about this world? You can, you can almost, you can know it. What happened in Bravos 5,000 years ago? You can actually, you can find out. Uh, what happened Someone Valeria? Someone ate an oyster, a clam, or a cockle. <laughs> right. What happened in Valeria? We don't know why it fell, but we know what it was like, and we know that something happened there. All these things, you can, you can reach back, and you can, you can find those things. And part of what makes it so important is, and I think George doesn't get enough credit for this, is just like, he's so good at, at naming shit. King's Landing, you know, like it makes sense. Like that, where did Aegon set foot when he came to the continent? It was there, King's Landing. Field of Fire. Field of Fire, like so evocative of like a great battle. And so when it was like really the best episode of season seven, um, when that episode- Spoilers of War. Spoiler, Spoilers of War, uh, decided to call like the great battle there the banks of the river, the loot train attack. It was just like very puzzling. Tough. tough stuff. Very loot tough. Loot train. Not as bad, though, as Frozen Lake Battle. Frozen Lake Battle. Shortly uh, the Frozen Lake Battle. Are you going up there? Frozen Lake Battle. Frozen I Lake Battle, very emblematic of everything we're talking about, right? Why is it called Frozen Lake Battle? One. Two, why doesn't the water just freeze again immediately? They bring the cold, right? This yeah. is established canon. Why will John suddenly say, ah, oh, you don't understand. I, I know that this whole thing is about bringing down that guy and I see that he's right there. But what you don't understand is that I have to go way back down to King's Landing because it'll only take 10 minutes. 
I mean, that's part of the thing that's great about these stories is you really, you just live in them, you know? And you live in them in a way that goes beyond the words and the narrative arcs of the story because they're so fascinating, you know? You want to know what, what happens in this place. And so you decide to look around and then you find in the books and in, certainly in the show is before season seven, that when you looked around at these other things that necessarily aren't the center and the focus of the screen, that you can actually learn about them, that there's so something there to learn. Um, and so when the, you really learn like how fragile that illusion is when the care isn't always taken to sustain that illusion of this being a living, breathing world with its own rules and the fact that people would call a battle a certain thing and then they'd refer to it and word would spread and they'd, you know, one of the things that we were, and we'll talk about this maybe a little bit more is like, when Arya and Sansa are having their beef over you're undermining John, et cetera, um, why doesn't the whole realm know that Littlefinger held a knife to Ned Stark's throat in the middle of the throne room with 400 people standing there? I, I, one of my favorite moments of watching this with Jason is, is when Littlefinger, in essence, his defense boils down to prove it, and right. Jason's like, there were three, literally 300 people. It was in the throne room. It was in the throne room. There were gold cloaks there. People would be like, oh. All right, I'll, I'll just go ask any of the people who were they'd there. They'd be like, you'd come home from work, and they'd be like, what happened today? Oh, my God, you're not going to fucking believe it. <laughs> fucking the hand came in and was like, you, uh, you're usurping the throne. And then Littlefinger came up and put a fucking knife to his and throat. And wait till you hear what he and said. And they arrested him. He said, I did warn you not to trust me. He said me. that out loud. That? Can you believe that? I cannot believe this shit. Let's go get a bowl of brown. Oh, no, 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 no. It's a, <laughs> not good for the digestion. We did a panel earlier today called Finish the Books, George. And one of our uh, shared pet hopes is that things like loot train attack and frozen lake battle will actually give George the juice he needs to finish. Like he'll be like, I, I still am. I'm, I I'm so. the true one. I would never have named it loot train attack. Let's go. I can do this. I mean, like, like this is a small example, but just the fact that in Bravos there's, there's the Ragman's Harbor and the Purple Harbor. Like the fact that he, and one is for regular people and one is for like important guests. Like that level of detail is important. It's important in a story like this that is so alien in terms of like our experience. Like this is a world like nothing else that we would have experienced living life. And that's just important to, to keep up that level of detail. Glad you said living life because number three. Ah, Johnny. Johnny Snow and his... Maybe ever present. There's no time for that. Death wish. John, there's time. I, I looked into the night. I saw the night king. I looked into his eyes. This fucking guy. Davos is like, John, I know you don't need that long to finish. Yeah, Just it's take a few minutes. Let's go. <laughs> Come on, what, like, what are you talking about? You're literally just sitting here, talking to me, drawing things in chalk on the case. So I, saw you staring at a good, I saw you staring at a good heart. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that Davos, like, he kept trying to strike up a rapport with Masandi, and she's just, like, not into yeah, it. He's like, like all right, I'm going to workshop some boob humor for yeah. John in my spare time. I got nothing else to do here. This place has changed. Yeah. Uh, like, so much of John's bravery, we feel... Uh, is a function of his dismay and confusion about why he's even here again 
You know, he died and was brought back. It was shocking to him. He doesn't understand it. Why am I still here? And he feels unworthy. Yeah, and I think that moment when he charges alone, Battle of the Bastards, sword out, the entire cavalry. Ripley prop sword. The cavalry bearing down on him. On, the one, on one hand, it's Great incredibly brave. On the other hand, you can kind of understand it as, as, as the act of a person who really doesn't understand why they are alive and maybe doesn't want to be. I think what is so fascinating about John's nature and, again, the, the way that the, the concentrated binge sort of highlighted this is yeah. that I think we saw that that was true even before the death and rebirth, yes. really from the beginning. Like, even the choice to leave Winterfell and join the Night's Watch in the first place, you know, yes, obviously life for him was miserable and he always felt separate, right. apart. Cat didn't help. But as Jason has pointed out before, you know, he could have gotten a little plot of land. He could have gotten right. a little castle. He could have built a life. And for plenty of people, that would have been enough. But John has always wanted something more. And he's always had a driving force leading him to do something that is simultaneously courageous yeah. and it's crazy detrimental yeah. to his own well-being. The Corrin Halfhand plot. Again, this is an exceptional act of valor John's willingness to take the fate of the world upon his shoulders and to really internalize his vows in a way yeah. that few Night's Watch recruits maybe ever had. He also knows, he, he knows unambiguously what he is positioning yeah. himself for, like a near certain death. Allowing the wildlings through the wall, obviously that quite I mean, that's literally a led to his death. But he knew what the stakes were when he made that decision, and he made it anyway. And that's a truly revolutionary act, too. I think that's something that, yeah, you really, want, to understand that world, you have to understand what a crazy thing that is to do. I'm going to let the wildlings in, really a timeless enemy. If there was one thing the Seven Kingdoms could could absolutely agree on is that we fucking hate wildlings. Wired, like, kill them all. Tormund is such a good hang. Like, <laughs> what a misread. Oh. By all of Westeros for so long. Sheila. All the seven kingdoms. Oh, Sheila. You didn't fuck a bear. He, did he fuck a bear, you think? I believe it. I buy it. <laughs> I believe anything about Tormund. Absolutely anything. I, I believe he tried to fuck a bear, certainly. Even, even going down... To treat with Danny on Dragonstone, something that was like in the context of the history of the Starks, the history of the North is like fucking insane. All your family members that went down there, bad shit happened. Right, and bad, numerous bad people who you trust are reminding you of that fact. Rickard burned alive. Ned Stark beheaded. Rob slaughtered at the Red Wedding. Who knows where Arya and Sansa are? Like. Just bad stuff happened, and he's going to be like, yeah, I'm going to go down there again. Why not? And, it's, and you can really, if you view that through the lens of, I shouldn't even be alive anyway. Like, let's, Sansa can handle this. Let, let Sansa handle it. I shouldn't be here. I will go and, I will go and try and forge this alliance. And if I die, you know. Obviously, bad plan. Yeah. Leading, leading the bad plan. Love Tyrion's bad plan. bad plan, but John's willingness to. I love, I love Tyrion. Man, you know, Davos is a great smuggler, but smuggling, like, Tyrion into King's Landing in broad daylight, that may be his greatest work 
ever. Listen, we got to be on do you the think lookout they'd be looking for, him? for gold cloaks. So here's what we're going to do. What if I'm going to take an open cove with no cover. Broad daylight. And I think we should go in the middle of the day when the right. sun is highest and the visibility is clear. Yeah. And then you should just come back down whenever it's a good time for you. Like, let's not <laughs> check in. No signal. Yeah. Don't wait to see if the coast is clear. If you see two men in chainmail and helmets, just assume it's fine yeah. and come down anyway because they're probably just nibbling on some fermented right. crab. Unbelievable stuff. Number four. Oh, this is fun. You binge watch this show and you realize that Littlefinger's accent is fucking wild. Accents. Accents. Season one is more of a British, like a British, no, no, no. Is that what they're teaching you in Winterfell? No. And then all of a sudden, like, it goes down, the voice goes down in the throat. And the mouth, like, sounds like it's filled with sand. Swallowing too much of his own bullshit. Oh, Peter, yeah. Peter, please. And then he's just, be, it, and then by season seven, it's fucking insane. Like, uh, what's, what's our, I think my favorite one is probably season seven, the speech to Sansa. Everyone is your friend. Everyone is your enemy. You see threats everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere you look. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about, guy? What happened to you? Littlefinger and, and Bran definitely sharing the same LSD supply at Winterfell <laughs> in season seven. For sure. Oh my God. In addition to the accent work, which is a source of endless comedy, truly. And it's one of our favorite performances. So we say this out of the sincere love and appreciation for the endless gift of that, of that accent. Oh my God. One of the other things that stood out to us though, are we sure Littlefinger's good? Like, He's renowned both among other characters on the show and among fans yeah. for being this, this master manipulator and this master puppeteer. He caused the, caused the death of John Aaron. I remember when you told me to put, put the poison <laughs> in his wine. Do and you remember, Peter? Oh. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We remember. We remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many, so many of the things that he gets such credit for, these, these epic plans, really a lot of lucky breaks and a lot of like people who were just willing to keep his secret for maybe a little longer than they should have. We already mentioned holding the knife to Ned's throat in the throne room. I mean, that kind of declaration could have ultimately been his undoing, especially right. if his... Ultimately, his entire strategy boils down to, I'm always on my own side, right. and I'll turn my cloak whenever is necessary. His control of the veil literally boiled down to Sansa not deciding to switch allegiance yeah. and rat him out at any point. Also, like, why did he leave the veil? Like, you're good now. You've got an, an intact army. The, not involved in the fight. The memorable shade was, memorable was shade. elsewhere. Put up you know? Oh my God. Why, but why leave there? Why not so, stay? This is one of the things that stood out to us and that we've been talking about. If Littlefinger were really as good as Littlefinger liked to think, he would have just said, all right, I carved out like yeah, a nice good. plot here. One of the most powerful people in this realm. Undeniably. He yeah. kept upgrading. He could have been stuck with just like cursed Harrenhal. You've got <laughs> the veil. Too greedy. Littlefinger, too greedy to actually warrant the reputation that he has. Yeah. Number, number five. Number five? Number five. Villains. Yes. Here's the thing that happens on Game of Thrones. People die a lot. Um, and on the one hand, it's one of the most uh, 
it's what makes this show and the book so revolutionary. Is like, that's the hero. No, he's, that person's dead. This is the villain. Oh, that person's dead now. Like, once you lost Tywin Lannister, man, that was a, that's a brave thing to do on a TV show. I think that's a thing where if there weren't a set of books that said Tywin Lannister on the shitter gets shot with two arrows, Dan. I respect I that. I respect that. They keep trying to kill you and you keep not, you keep surviving. I respect that. Oh my God. And I missed it. Like amazing to keep on going from there. And then you really felt like after a while, oh man, can Cersei come up to that level? Clearly the Night King can't come up to that level. Being as deep into the story as we both are, when the show is airing live for the first time, and people, pe- every every website, including our own, yeah. writing these, oh, does Game of Thrones have a, a villain problem? Articles, and we're like, this is just like straight horseshit. What do you mean? Does Game of Thrones have a villain problem? These villains are elite. Read the books, Chris Ryan. Yes, come, come on, on Chris. Andy Greenwald. Just come on, pick up a fucking book. Come on. And then binging, it was like, oh, you know what? Philly sports fans, not as dumb as we think. Yeah. They might have been onto something here the whole time. I mean, time. Joffrey, Joffrey, Joffrey Tywin power vacuum. Joffrey was one of like I can't remember ever wanting someone to die as much as I wanted Joffrey. Other question rather, for you: yeah. Was his death urgent business? Oh my God, Joffrey, the combination of like pure cowardice, like absolute cowardice, but also mean like psychopathic murderer. The fact that you could be there, pitch battle, your entire kingdom depends on the next few hours. You're standing there at the gate. You can hear the cries of the men, the swords clanking outside. And someone comes up and is like, uh, the queen mother wants to talk. What? Oh, oh. It, what, what did she say? Is it an engine? she sends for me? Do they need me at the battle? No, no, no. So your, your grace, the, the battle. No, 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 hold on, hold on. What would she want? My mother... It's just an incredible character. Like, that combination of, on the one hand, like, pure bully. Like, without his henchmen, with it, just on his own, he's fucking nothing, this guy. But the fact that he does have that power, there's something so terrifying about basically a child with absolute power. And when that was gone, man, you felt it. You, you felt did. it. The other, I think, you know, Tywin and Joffrey really are the, the, the poster boys, the poster bads for that particular vacuum. But rewatching, we also felt that with Melisandre as she sort of faded and was less yeah. central. We really found ourselves missing Mel. And that also ties in, you know, not only to the, the, the villain issue. And I think, you know, with Melisandre, maybe you, you use the word villain a little more loosely. Though, sure. also, flip side. She's just a true believer. Burn Shireen. That was so, tough. Definitely a villain. That was a bit, that was a tough thing to watch. <laughs> true, true. Shireen, but like literally move. the best person pound for pound on the show, Shireen Baratheon. Shireen just wants to teach people to read. Taught people to read, just giving you gifts. Holding like, a toy, a beautiful little wooden beautiful toy that toy. somehow did not burn in the fire that consumed her flesh just and bones. All, but like, that's purely that's loving, is kept like by herself in this shitty tower and is like, oh, hello. Right. Uh, like, how are you doing? Just wh- going to visit people in the dungeons. And then you're going to burn her? Just a sweetie pie. And the, the Melisandre thing also factors back into the fantasy elements and the way that the show has yeah. sort of distanced itself from some of those. Here's a more positive one. Yeah. Number six. Samuel Tarly. Sammy. Sam's courage arc. We just were so into Sam binging this. And I, I, 
I want to speak for you. I think you feel this way, but I've always been extremely pro Sam and get like really, I would say like ugly mean to people who talk shit about Sam in front of me. I'm just like, take a step back. Yes. Now, but binging more than ever before, we were just like, Sam is not only clearly the avatar for George himself. Right. Of course. Which I assume means he will not be in, Season eight, because he will be working on <laughs> All right, uh, he'll the be Ice in, Dragon film adaptation. Right, he'll be... Instead of finishing the story. But not only the stand-in for George, he really feels like Neville to us. You know, the Neville of this story. The one who, yeah. from the beginning, says, I, I don't need you to tell me I'm not brave enough right. to be in Gryffindor. I already know. You know, Sam, speaking the words, I'm a craven, aloud. And to watch that character... And we have plenty of nits to pick with some of the choices Sam made in season seven, particularly being like, I need access to every bit of information in the Citadel. 10 minutes later, Gilly. I quit. Grab your bags. I took five scrolls at random. I don't know what's in them or who wrote them, (laughs) but I'm sure these are the ones. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, mansplaining over one of the biggest reveals in the show's history. That was tough. Very tough. That was Uh, tough. I think, you know, bosses don't respond to my emails. (laughs) Such a tough day at work. The thing that I appreciate about Sam and characters like that is um, often, and I say this a lot, but often the characters that you find most annoying, it doesn't matter what the, what the medium is, are the ones that react most like the way you would right. in a particular situation. Listen, if I was in like a demented reform school with rapists and murderers on a ranging beyond the wall to fight undead things, I would be pretty scared all the time. And I thought you were going to say, if I finally got a chance to make sweet love to a woman who had recently given birth, I would definitely drink her breast milk, and my internal Delicious. monologue would be, nothing had ever tasted so sweet. Nothing had ever... This pink mast flopping out. Anyway, that's for a different... Different panel. That's a different panel. Uh, join us tomorrow uh, for uh, <laughs> right. love and... <laughs> no, but like... Seriously. Those are the characters that you find often, you find most off-putting because that's you just something about the fact that he's afraid. I would be afraid in that situation. I want to I read about somebody who would be brave. And that's why, like, his... When he kills the White Walker, the way that reputation follows him is really interesting because he did it... You know, it's that classic Ned thing. A man can only be... Uh, can only be brave, be brave if he's when, afraid. He's, when he's afraid. It's... He was afraid when he did that. That was a pure, that was just pure, like, we need to survive this. Right. I need to protect this person, and you I need to You find your protect- courage in your fear. And it was, there was no skill involved. There was no, like, martial ability involved. He just did that, and that reputation followed him. And it's a great way to think about the reputations of all these great warriors and what they've done in their life. Like, it's very different in the moment when you're fighting someone, and then... Anyone else in that story would have leveraged that reputation. Oh, I'm Sam the Slayer. I killed a right. White Walker. He didn't do that. Well, one of the unifying traits of the true heroes of yeah. the story is that they often feel like they are the least worthy of assuming that mantle. It's true for Sam. It's true for John. One of the true moments in my life, I'm just going to share something personal with you guys. Yes. One of the true moments in my life where I've questioned uh, my decision to marry my husband, Adam. One was when he bought me a Joe Flacco jersey and I was like, you don't know me at all? At all? Burn this? Uh, Lamar Jackson, welcome to Baltimore. And another was when Sam killed the White Walker and Adam was like, pick up the, the dagger, what are you doing? And I was like, how is that what you're focusing on right now? 
Where are you, dude? Share this with me. Lean uh, in to the courage. It's uh, a beautiful thing. And number seven, something that really happened to us as we were watching. Like, when you binge watch um, and you break away from the week-to-week format, things that are in the background kind of come to the fore. And a lot of it we ended up using as these weird inside jokes. Like, Robert, everything Robert did in season one yeah. We was found ourselves just incredible. discovering these sources of humor and levity and like a shared language with each other and with you guys that we did not expect. I think if heading into binge mode, you had said like, predict like the 10 uh, (laughs) things you might see on a t-shirt that someone made at Con of Thrones. We would not have said Knights of Summer. Knights of Summer. Like the fact that... (laughs) Just the, it's like, first of all, a great line from Kat. To be like, oh, you guys are the fucking Knights of Summer. Second of all, what a great insight. The fact that, like, Renly, you have a gigantic army, my guy, right? And what the, literally, what the fuck are you doing? You're Playing like having war. a rolling burning man throughout the stormlands up through the reach where you're just, like, drinking and partying. Will you please fucking march on the castle? He needs, what the he fuck? needs time to work on all those ham quips. I mean, that's what... Ham. Is it, is it ham? Just the fact that, like, it must have been truly a legendary party. Like, oh, man, Renly's, you got to come, dude. We're fucking, there's a seven-foot woman who's kicking everybody's ass. Fucking the wine is flowing. I don't wine? know how much they're... Corona light. I don't know how much they're spending sure. on this shit. Boxed wine, maybe. Like, that kind of stuff. Robert, though, you, I, I interrupted you when you were about oh, to just tap like the, into your, your Baratheon. Something about the way... When that moment in his office, in his solar, standing there talking about what happens when you make your first kill. He's like, how'd you, how'd you do it? Just the way he said, kind of, how'd you do, how'd you, how'd you do it? With a lance, so through the heart. Oh, quick one. Quick one. The way he was like, ah, oh, quick one. And then just the description of like, something about Robert. What a jolly man. And I'm really sad to see him go. I think. That's the thing. He's in so few episodes but his presence and his wisdom stuck with us the whole time they never tell you how they they shit themselves they never they never tell you how they shit themselves they never put that on the songs (laughs) ah and then of course Pycelle oh listen the The thing about kings thing about Kings, the, first of all... Imagine saying this as first someone of all, is scene. washing her vagina. That's the thing. That was one of the notable... You. That's one of the notable early season... Oh, this isn't in the books, right? And here's Roz. The Not in the books. Yeah. Pycelle, post-coitus, in his, like, sackcloth. Roz in the background, is literally, this, like... Is the sackcloth the thing he was using to clean his <laughs> right, genitals? Right, or Roz in the background, literally garb. in the bowl, that in just, like, the common bowl, like, washing herself <laughs> off. And Paisel is oh, just talking about nonsense and clearing... <laughs> oh, well, the thing I'm going to understand about King... <laughs> Aries madness is terrible malady. King Robert, great warrior. Joffrey, son, martial man, stern. Stern is in the realms of nowhere. Right? And she's. 
<laughs> we'll we'll give you a, qu- a little behind yeah, the scenes nugget. I've seen so many fucking from a making times. a making a binge mode. Our producer at the time, Zach Mack, one of the times Jason was monologuing Pycelle, and Zach's like. Jay, uh, it's a little hard to hear what you're saying. Can you take that again? And we're both just like, no. That's exactly how we say it. Fucking art. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, like when when Kyburn first comes up. Kyburn? Kyburn. Kyburn, you're great. You're great. Just kick out of the citadel experiments. Violence. <laughs> Love Pycelle, what an amazing human being. Like, see what else? Oh, Peter, of course. Everything Peter everything. that everything that Peter did just became insane as his Lysa. Oh, your aunt. Where are we going? It's your aunt. Lysa in the bay. <laughs> Great moment between Lysa and Peter. They arrive in the veil. Lysa is telling him, oh, Peter, do you remember how you told me to put the, put the poison in his wine? And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then she's like, we should get married. We should finally do it. We've been talking about it all these years. And he's like, oh, sure. Should I just take a bath? And no, he's like, yeah, well, well, first, uh, I'll change out of my garb. The road has been, you know, long, and I'll change, and, uh, and then I'll get my head done. And then as soon as I do that, we'll go call from the septum. And she strides to the door, is like, opens it, and the septum is fucking standing there. Like, that, uh, when you're just regular watching it, you're like, oh, that's... And then as you binge watch it, you're like, the reality of that sinks in, and you're like, so Lysa is like, okay, Peter's coming. I'm going to pop the question. You stand here and wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit to the various murders that we've committed. Right? Yeah. Don't, I mean, don't press your ear against don't, the door don't, for so, that part. But listen yeah. for when I say... Listen well enough yeah. to know exactly right. when Then I'm going to walk up and you just stride but in. not well enough to hear me <laughs> confess to treason. And right. then it's up to you if you want to stay for the banshee sex moans later. Sansa will be tuning no. in for that. Oh, that that's another, another great moment. Another truly great thing about that. How that foreshadows the fact that she's going to fall through the moon door. Because it's really, if you watch it, Sansa's laying there awake listening to this fucking shit. And it's, oh, oh, oh! <laughs> And it really does foreshadow that. Yeah. It's true. I think truly. a commentary on how most men view the female orgasm, just out of reach, <laughs> fading from view. <laughs> uh, and speaking of, one. the Lord's kiss. Oh, it... Uh, the Lord's Kiss. What a, like, this is a cheat because we're saying, oh yeah, we, we spent more time than we thought we would talking about the Lord's Kiss. I think honestly, if you had said, what will you spend? What will be in the top five of the things you talk about on Binge Mode? We probably would have been like, copious that, oral sex. Is, is that what Lords do yeah. to their ladies? And then and finally, the before we go to our question and answer section, uh, Stannis and sports. Stan, like, there's something so funny sports. about Stannis at. Castle Black, he's leaning on the, leaning on the on the the balustrade there, looking down at the men, and you can just tell he's like, this is, this is what he wants to be doing. He loves to watch men train. Loves it. And then Celise comes up and is like, you're great, and he's like, fuck, God, <laughs> I'm Damn. scouting, fuck, I'm crunching tape. What? I like to think that this is the show's like very subtle way of saying to George, listen. We're giving you sports here, so you don't need to blog about Sam Darnold and the Jets. You can actually write the next book. We hope that happens, and we're so grateful for you all to showing up here, Binge Mode Live, and 
questions. Let's open the floor to questions. Anybody have any questions? We were supposed to leave 15 minutes. We left five. So that's... That's typical of us. That's... that's I can hear our producer right now. Yeah. Hey, guys. Hello. Yes. So I have two real quick ones for both of you. One, Mallory, in two words or less, can you sum up what you would like everyone to do for Ghost? And then Jason, (laughs) uh, question around Kyburn, is he or is he not a maester? Just real quick. Kyburn! He's definitely 100% not a maester. You can check the diploma. Say it with me, guys. One, two, three. Protect ghost! Have to. Have to. Yes. All right, guys. Hello. So I've been watching y'all, or listening to y'all for a long time. I've been watching y'all ever since y'all kind of guested on Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald's. <laughs> Uh, HBO show and all that We have of usurped stuff. the throne from Yes, them. yes. So it's very curious for me because Love you, they obviously had a podcast for a long time. Yes. And now y'all have your own podcast. Yeah. Did you ever think that you would be podcasters? Like, like I mean, th- this was something that had to have happened because of Andy and Chris, yeah. but like y'all brought the knowledge to them. Great question. Shouts to Jilly, wherever you are. <laughs> Chris Ryan. But make sure you, uh, you read The Golden Compass. The Golden Compass by Philip Pullman. Uh, we love Chris and Andy, truly. They are among our favorite people in the world. And very good sports, because they let us dunk on them constantly. <laughs> One of the people we were talking to at the, at the podcast meet and greet was like, uh, you guys just like really dunk on Chris a lot. <laughs> How does he handle that? And I was like, really well. Yeah, He's yeah. a great sport. So, he's a Philly fan, so... Yeah. yeah, like, he's fucking fine. He has foot-long foals for the rest of his life. He's good. Um, that is a joke about the size of Nick Foles' penis. He's Padraic-esque, Padraic- <laughs> as they like to say. Uh, so we both had done, like, a little bit of podcasting before. We occasionally went on the... God, well, before it was Talk the Thrones and Watch the Thrones at Grantland, we each had a little segment on that back in the day and done some college football podcasting at SI way back in the day. And, you know, we had dabbled with it, and I think it was something we had both enjoyed but never necessarily thought we would do to this extent. No, no, no way. And then found that we really enjoyed it and just felt like being able to talk about the story together unlocked something for us about it in, like, a kind of life-altering way, not to get all emotional and weep at the end. But it's on brand for you. It's really, we're, it's true. We're very, very fortunate yeah. to work for Bill Simmons, who, you know, he was watching us on the after shows, and he was like, you guys should do this podcast. He literally just came into my office one day. I was like, what if you and Jason, I have an idea. It's called Binge Mode. Actually, Binge Mode was an, uh, originally one of the things he wanted to name The Ringer. Fun, fun fact for you. Um, but that did not happen. And so he was like, what if we call this Binge Mode? <laughs> And you guys do this podcast. And as some of you might remember, at the end of the final episode, when we signed off right. through our tears, yes. one of the things we said was that the podcast would be back with other hosts, other That's ringer right. hosts. And that was you know, originally the plan. That's what it was supposed to be. So even then, even after the 67-episode run, we were not totally sure um, when we would get to do it again. Yeah. But thankfully... The answer was very soon, and we came back with Weekly, and now we're doing Harry, and we hope to keep it going for a very long time. Woo! Anyone else? Anyone else? Any other questions? Anyone? Well, th- thank Anyone? you so much for, Thanks for coming, spending guys. this time with us. All right, everyone. That is the audio from Binge Mode Live at 
Con of Thrones Memorial Day weekend 2018. It was so wonderful to meet yes. so many of you there. Thank you if you attended in person. If not, we hope to see you at one of these someday soon. And in the meantime, please, 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 please. check out Binge Mode Harry Potter. Term begins on June 11th. Akio Podcast. Download Yaramas. 